Well, we are um, starting a brand new series this weekend, and I uh, want to thank you so much for being here. And I'll tell you a little bit about the new series we're starting in just a second, but uh, like has already been said, we're, we're celebrating uh, a bunch of baptisms at the end of the message, and what will happen is right towards the end of the sermon, I'll just dismiss you so you're not confused at any time. I'll say, hey, if you're getting baptized, you can go, so I'll make it real subtle like that, and uh and you get a chance to go out and get ready. And then what will happen for those of us that are a bunch of family and friends here is they'll come into this tank and we'll light it up. And sometimes people come over with their phone. That's fine. It's kind of a free-for-all. Uh, and, uh, and have a chance to take pictures and cheer them on. And our band will lead us in worship. And it's something uh, that we'll get a chance to celebrate. And baptism is when people want to just declare what Jesus has done on the inside of their life by declaring it on the outside of their life. And so we're so proud uh, to be able to... To celebrate baptism. And if you're a family member or friend that is here today to celebrate them, uh, I want to just welcome you and thank you. Thank you for being here. Tell you, I've been, I've been thinking about how proud of you I am. Man, we made it through a whole bunch of Christmas Eve services, four different locations, bunch of them. And I watch people pouring hot chocolate and parking cars and, and come on, uh, cleaning uh, candle wax that had dripped on all the seats off and, and worship team and production team and all the ways you serve was so self Helpless. And I just thought uh, last week of how grateful I was for you. And, and then you were so generous. Uh, a bunch of families provided Christmas for other families that couldn't and got um, specific gift cards for families so that they could give their kids Christmas. And you know who you are. I'm just so thankful for your generosity. And then we, we um, issued a church-wide um, goal of $100,000 to give to missions in the month of uh, December. And you gave, I think it's between 170 and 180. We leave it open another week. And so... Thank you, thank you, thank you for your, uh, for your generosity. And thank you for being a part of a 4.30 in the morning, particularly at the 9.30 and 11. It's very crowded here, and so we're building a new building. And that extra money, we said, we'll push right into the project. And I've, I've been told steel will get here tomorrow. I've been told steel will get here tomorrow. And so maybe by next week, you'll see stuff going up. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for your incredible generosity. And tell you one more story. I always try to do this because the 4.30 service, it's the best because we're not live streaming. And there's no, no campuses to throw to. There's no service after. I can talk about my sister and we're not online. She can't see it. And uh, it's the best. But um, uh, one of my favorite things was if you were at our December first Wednesday, it was really special. There, uh, the, the sheriff allowed two inmates to come who's part of the chapel church services um, on Sunday mornings in the jail. They brought them. They were still incarcerated, but they brought them to church on first Wednesday. How many know that's just a work of God? I mean, the ankle bracelet, the guard, the whole deal, you know. And um, one of the guys' name was Jay, and he, he had uh, been, he had lived not far from here, and he said he saw the chapel stickers on everybody's car driving around, and he drove by the sign, and he thought, I'm supposed to go there, but he never, he never came, and then he ended up um, making a mistake and, and landing in the jail, and so he decided he would go to church in the jail, and he's like, I'll never believe it. I felt like I was supposed to go to the chapel, and I walk into church in the jail, and they put up on the screen the chapel, and I'm like, are you kidding me? In fact, Joel Hughes, who leads the Tri-Hope uh, Outreach Ministry there, sent me a picture of Jay's cell. And in the wall, there's probably a glass part, only about this big. And there was a chapel sticker, come on, on the glass window in Jay's cell. And uh, 
he got out of jail last Wednesday, and he didn't know we do one Sunday a year. We don't have church in person, so he came to church. And uh, but but the good news is we have a whole group of intercessory prayer people that pray on that Sunday for 21 days. We got a pre-service prayer meeting for all of our prayer meetings, and uh, and they were here, and he went in and prayed with them. And one of the ladies said, "Well, I've been meaning to put a sticker on my car, and so I got this picture last Sunday of Jay out in our parking lot, out of the jail, putting a sticker on one of the prayer team's cars." And he was, in fact, he was with us first Wednesday. He was with us. He sat right there uh, this morning at 11.15. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of a church that's reaching not only in our community, but come on into the places where, where people are rebuilding their lives and God's doing incredible things. So, isn't that amazing? Incredible. Incredible. Let me just remind you, I won't harp on it. I won't guilt you. You kind of already know the deal. But tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., and you say, well, Pastor, I'm not a morning person. I'm at the 4.30. Well, that's okay. Uh, uh, we'll, we got coffee. And uh, so 7 a.m. in Richmond and in Midlothian, we'll be together in person, online uh, as well. You can watch it on the replay, whatever you have to do. And a bunch of us are fasting either on water fasts or, or uh, uh, you got to fast something you don't, you don't like or you, you like. Does that make sense? I asked my son, what are you fasting? And he's like, kale. I was like, it don't work that way, buddy. You know? And uh, in fact, we're also encouraging a soul fast, which is to set down the news a little bit and social media a little bit and to detach a little bit from the world. How many of you believe we could detach a little and attach more to the Lord? And so we're, we're thinking of that. And uh, somebody said to me, what will I do in, if there's news in the world? And I was like, well, we will let you know because somehow we'll all find out. But how many know if you, if you fast the news for a week or two, you'll be happier? And so, so that's what we're doing here and uh, want to be a part of that. Well, we launched a brand new series today called Mountains and Valleys. And, uh, and, and how many know God sometimes works in our life in great ways on the mountain? But how many know God sometimes leads us through valleys? In fact, sometimes I used to think when I was younger that there were mountain seasons in life and valley seasons in life. And then I've realized, have you ever had a moment in life where you had a part of your life that was a mountain and a part of your life that was a valley? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, I got four kids. That means there's always one to keep me encouraged and always one to keep me discouraged, you know? And, and, and all of us probably know what it's like to go through mountains and valleys. In fact, I took a survey this morning. I wonder, some people like the mountains, some like the beach. Come on, where are the beach people? Raise your hand, you're a beach person, praise the Lord. And uh, where are the mountain people? Come on, mountain people. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, where the Lord meets us on the mountains. And, uh, I had a guy tell me after the 930, he was a horticulturalist, if, that, if I pronounced it right. Horticulturalist. And I said, what do you do? And he's like, well, I study soil and bugs and pests and everything. And I just had this idea. I was standing there. I said, I'm, I think you should be Dr. Dirt. And he said, well, no, because he's really smart. You know what I mean? And I was like, you're really smart. He told me a bunch of things he studied. And I said, well, Dr. Dirt, that's your new name to me. And he's like, things don't really grow in dirt. They grow in soil. So if you could call me Dr. Soil. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't sound good. Come on, Dr. Dirt is better, isn't it, Dr. Dirt? And uh, but he told me something interesting after the 930 service. He said, even though mountains look prettier, do you know where the real soil is, is in the valleys? And he said, that's where, where things really grow. And it reminded me this weekend of this, that we experience God on the mountains, but how many know we become like God in the valleys, right? 
And so God uses the mountain peaks in our, in our life to fill us with faith and courage, but God also uses the valleys, the challenging seasons of our life to develop us and to test us and to work in us. And, and so we're gonna spend a couple weeks looking at the mountains and the valleys. And you could hardly start a Bible study series on mountains and valleys without, without looking at the first mountain that God really revealed himself to, to Moses. And it's where God revealed the, the um, Ten Commandments. It's where Moses had these two tablets given to him, written by the finger of God that declared the ways of God in his life. And, 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 and God spoke in such a powerful way, it was Mount Sinai. And, and the context of that, you remember the nation of Israel had been in um, slavery for 400 years. And, and 400 years, God sent a deliverer named Moses who said, let my people what? Come on, let my people go. Yeah, you've seen Prince of Egypt, right? And and, and God delivered the people, and yet what should have been a 12-day walk into the promised land became a 40-year journey. It was only 12 days, actually, from where they were at the banks of the sea to go all the way into the promised land. But God, but, but because of their hard-heartedness and lack of faith and their grumbling spirit, God led them a long, a long way around. How many, how many know sometimes people are difficult? How many know sometimes we, we are difficult? How many are sitting next to a difficult person this weekend, right? <laughs> and God, God was patient with the people. But what's amazing is God turns to Moses and he said, the people have been so frustrating. As you go into the promised land, I'm not even going to go with you. I'm going to send my angel. And Moses says something amazing. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And when I was standing on the edge a couple weeks ago of this new year and praying over our lives, our church, where we're headed, I literally thought, God, if your presence doesn't go with us in 2024, we don't have what it takes to accomplish what you called us to accomplish. And I'm here to remind you today have what it takes in your marriage, in your family, at your workplace, in this community. How many just say, I need God's presence in this new year, right? And Moses says, are you kidding me, God? If you don't go with us, how will, how will, what will even distinguish us from all the other people? What's going to give us the edge? What's going to lead us? And so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes before we celebrate baptisms on some things we need in our life on the mountain. And the, the first one I think is so necessary. It's the mountain of what? God's, God's presence. Moses says, God, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. I would rather literally not even move into what you have for me if you don't go with me. And so you just need to know you're part of a church that believes that we need the presence of God. In fact, every time we pray uh, uh, 21 days of prayer, it's, it's strategically scheduled in January and in, in August because January, the start of a new calendar year, August, the start of a new school year, it's us saying before we begin things, we're going to consecrate ourselves in prayer. Before we move into the next thing, we got to make sure to get our hearts and rights and souls ready for what the Lord has for us. And, and God tells Moses, maybe I won't go with you. And Moses literally says, no, 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 we'd rather stay in the wilderness with God than go into the promised land without him. And, and I'm, I'm here to just remind us, we need God. Anybody need God, right? In fact, you need to know this if you're new to the chapel. There are, there are churches where you get to observe church and there are participatory churches. And you just need to know you're in a participatory church. 
You say, Pastor, what's a participatory church? Well, there are some churches you sit down and you don't say anything and the, the singers come up and sing and the preacher comes up and preach and you go, amen, and you walk out and that's that church. But we aren't that kind of church. We're a participatory church. That means that this is a dance. Come on. <laughs> we, meaning we have not come to watch a show. We have come to meet with God. Like we have come to meet with God, right? And there are, there are churches where just the band plays the song, but we're not trying to do that. When the band leads us in worship, how many know our job is to dance with them? Come on, somebody, dance with them. How many know it takes two to dance? Do you know some weeks the band's leading better worship, not because they're leading better worship, it's because we're worshiping better with them. Some weeks I'm preaching better, not because I'm preaching better, but you're hearing better. Mm, yeah. It's a, it's a two-way street. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says there could be even somebody who doesn't know much about God in your church and they don't understand what you're doing. And if they come into an atmosphere where a bunch of God's people are worshiping and praising God and lifting up his name, that they could actually say, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, surely the Lord is among you and fall on their face and worship God. How many want to be a part of a church where God's presence is here, right? And that's what I love, that we want to be a part, write, write this down, that the mountain of God's presence means we're a, come on, say it with me, we're a what? Presence-driven church. That means we've come to meet with God. We're a presence-driven church, that we're trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to be with us. So we want the mountain of God's presence. Here's the second thing, and just write it down here. The mountain of God's what? The mountain of God's, the mountain of God's character. This means that we need to have a right view of God, right? Mountain of God's character. So our job is not to, uh, to make God in our own image, but to, to understand who God is in his own character, okay? And we live in a world, I don't know if you know this, where, where they are trying, rather than to understand who God is, we live in a culture that's trying to remake God into the image of who we want God to be. And it's interesting, when Moses meets with God, he comes to him and says, be ready in the morning and present yourself to me on the rooftop of the mountain. And God comes and he shows up in power. And the Lord comes down in a cloud and stands there with him and proclaims his name, meaning his character, his identity, his being, and who he is. And that's what we're trying to do as a church, to reveal and teach the character of God. And he describes him as the God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding to love. He's abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness. He, and yet, if there is sin, he doesn't leave it unpunished. And the consequences of that sin can affect generations. And here's what he's doing. He's teaching who God is, not who they want God to be. I want you to imagine, my wife has blonde hair and brown eyes. I want you to imagine, and I say to her tonight, I love, I love your brown hair and blue eyes. And she says, but I don't have brown hair and blue eyes. And I say, oh, I know, I know, but I love your brown hair and blue eyes. She's going to say what? I don't know what she's going to say. It's weird, right? <laughs> because I can't make her what I want to say she is. I've got to admire and appreciate who she really is. And I want you to see that we live in a world that's trying to remake God into, into who they want it to be. And I want us to be a church, catch this, that sees who God is, not who we want God to be, okay? That understands who God is, is in his own character and being and worship him for who he is. And this is so important. I'm going to show you a graph, and I, I think this may be helpful to explain one of the ways this is happening. And 
This is um, church attendance in the United Kingdom over the last 30 years. And as you move this way to the graph, attendance declines in churches. And as you move this way on the graph, attendance goes up. And there's one common feature that this graph describes for declining uh, church denominations and one common feature for increasing church attendance. And, and it isn't worship style. <laughs> and it isn't the, the kind of church it is, this graph literally just describes church's views on biblical sexuality, okay? And I want you to know that further you go this way to declining churches, they have more progressive views on sexuality. And, and those churches' denominations seem to be declining, and churches that hold to biblical sexuality, which is sex and marriage is created, one man, one woman, in the confines of marriage to be enjoyed and celebrated, and anything else is less than God's best and sinful. Churches that hold on to that view of marriage are growing. Isn't that interesting? In fact, I had a pastor in town, a good guy. I mean, I, I like him, but he said to me the other day, how many, a few months ago it's been, but how, how, why does the chapel have so many young people in the church when you guys hold an outdated view on sexuality? And I said, because you don't have anything to offer young people at your church. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're just offering them the same thing the, the world is offering them. Do whatever feels good to you. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. There are no consequences to anything. Free love. I mean, do, do whatever in any and however. And, and the consequences of that people are finding is brokenness and pain and difficulty. We're trying to offer them not our ideas, but God's ideas of what the truth of God is. Here's what I'm trying to just remind us. I'm just using this as an example. It's not the only one. But I'm telling you, we cannot melt God down into our image. We have to worship him for the image that he is, right? And what's interesting, in this chapter, right before it, when Moses goes to the Mount Sinai to get the, t the tablets from God, the people of God, if you remember the story, we don't have time to look at it, but Exodus 19 says that they melt gold and build a a golden calf, you remember that? And they worship it. And what they're doing is not creating a new God, they're just trying to melt God down into an image they want him to be. And I'm just reminding us today, let's let God be God and not make him who he wants him to be, us to be, right? Let, let's let God be who he is. I mean, can we all admit we've read a verse in the Bible and we wish it wasn't there, come on. I was reading the fruit of the spirit the other, other day. Love, joy, peace, patience. Isn't that a horrible fruit of the spirit? Like if I was writing love, joy, peace, efficiency, strategy, uh, 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 like, but no, it says patience. Come on, don't you hate the word patience? <laughs> How many know when the Bible disagrees with us, we got to choose whether or not I'm going to change or the Bible's going to change? But let's be a part of a church. Here's what I'm saying this weekend: that a mountain of God's character means we're a. Come on, say it like you mean it. We're a what? Bible-based church. So turn to the person next to you and tell them you're in a Bible-based church. Come on, tell them that. You're in a Bible-based church. Mountain of God's character. Here's the third thing. Write this down. We're in, we we want to stand on the mountain of God's grace. Let me show you the first words God reveals himself to Moses and the people when he says, here's who I am, the Lord, the God who is compassionate and the God who is gracious and the God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and maintaining love to thousands and forgiving. He's describing his nature. In fact, I want you to see this word slow to anger. Slow to anger. Aren't you glad? I mean, 
If God gave us what we deserved, how many know none of us would be in church this year, right? How many of you have ever broken a New Year's resolution this year? <laughs> Slow to anger, right? In fact, let me show you the Hebrew. I found the Hebrew translation of slow to anger very interesting. Come on. Long of nostril. Don't you love that? It's a picture of when people get mad. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, do it with me. Like, it's saying God is not quickly. He's. Or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm a simple person. Here's how my kids' Bible storybook calls it, that we have a God who has never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking kind of love. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking kind of love. And let me, let me explain it this way. If you just lean in and, and uh, the way God establishes relationship with people in the Old Testament is not through a contract, but a covenant. It's not through a contract, but a what? But a and I want to show you this. He meets with Abraham, and here's how they would set covenants in the Bible times. Abraham took a lamb, and he cut it into two, in, in two pieces and set one half of the lamb on one side and one half on the other. And then what would happen as people would enact a covenant is the two parties that were going to have a, a contract, an agreement, a covenant together, would walk through the center of the broken, uh, spilt blood and the broken body of this animal, and they would say, they would rehearse the terms of their covenant and they would say may this be done to me if I break this covenant this kind of brutal in fact I used to try to describe this at weddings because the reason a bride and groom walk down the center aisle is it's when a bride walks down she's saying if I break the covenant would I be split in two and scattered and so I used I tried this in several weddings to describe it and Katie was like you got to stop it with all the animal killing in the weddings you're doing. And I was like, it's so cool. Don't people love it? She's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm there. They don't. And, uh, but next time you, you think you're at a wedding, that's what it, that's why yeah, you get it. Like it's, it's like, here comes a bride. No, no, no. In the Bible times, they just split in that animal open, the husband and wife walking through there, like, kill me if I break this covenant, man, that's strong. And so what's interesting is God is making a covenant with Abraham and Abraham gets ready to do that. He splits the animal in two. And what should happen in that moment is God and Abraham should walk in the middle executing that covenant. But the amazing thing happens. This is incredible. Abraham, the God calls to fall into a deep sleep and the presence of God, a smoking fire pot, uh, walks through alone and God makes the covenant with Abraham. So watch this. It's amazing. At the time that God and Abraham are supposed to walk through the split lamb and say, may this be done to me, God puts Abraham to sleep and walks through it alone. And here's what God is saying. If I break this covenant, Abraham, may this be done to me. But he's saying this, Abraham, if you break this covenant, may this be done to me too. You say, pastor, that doesn't make sense. Oh, it does. Because one day you and I would break the covenant. Any, any people ever made a mistake in this room, right? And the good news is God said, I'm not even going to make you pay for your own sin. I'm going to split the lamb of God, the spotless son. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my own blood for the forgiveness of sin. Here's what I'm reminding you of this weekend. Our relationship with God is not based upon our own goodness, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. For by grace are we saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. Anybody grateful for the never-ending love of God? Like, grace of God. 
That's what the picture of covenant is of God dying for our sins, Jesus being pierced, his uh, 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 nails in his wrists and his feet, spear in his side, uh, crown on his, on his brow, and his blood being shed for us so we might be forgiven. I read a story this week of a, one of the worst wildfires in Montana state history and in the 1940s. And there were 16 firefighters at one um, raging part of this fire that they sent to fight the fire. And, and 13 of the 16 died when suddenly the wind shifted in that fire and, and 3,000 acres of, of raging fire came towards them. And it's interesting, 13 died and three lived. And it came because the men were trapped between the fire and a, and a, a, a rock that had a 76 degree pitch on it. And 13 of the firefighters tried to ascend the rock and they lost their life. Three of them did what some people thought was crazy. They took a, a match out of their pocket and lit a flame and actually set a fire at the grass at their feet. What they're actually doing is back burning. They were setting a fire so that the fire near them would burn towards the fire that was coming at them. And something amazing happened when the two fires met that fire that was coming at them no longer had fuel in grass to come towards them because the burnt over part was, was large that was between them and the fire. And so all the firefighters had to do was step on the already burned part and nothing could touch them, okay? So here's what I wanna say to you tonight. All of us had to pay the penalty of sin, the Bible says. And that sin was the judgment, like the fire, but the good news is Jesus Christ came to absorb it. And all we have to do is step in the already burned over place of the grace of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ on our behalf. And we don't have to pay the penalty. I'm so glad this weekend I don't have to pay the penalty for my own sin. I'm so glad there's a sacrifice in my place on my behalf that I might be forgiven. And here's what the mountain of God's grace means. Catch this. You just need to know you're in this kind of church. The mountain of God's grace, come on, somebody help me out, means we're in a what? A Jesus-centered church, right? Like it's all about Jesus. I'm not saved by a system. I'm saved by a savior. I'm not saved by rules. I'm saved by relationships. I'm not saved by keeping the law. I'm saved by the one who died for me. And so many people don't get this. They think this new year, if I can only improve my life and make it good enough, then maybe God will accept me. Well, here's the truth. We'll never be good enough. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He sent his son and we have a relationship. I serve God from acceptance, not for acceptance. I serve God from victory, not for victory. I serve God from a place of identity. I talked to a guy, amazing guy in our church who was, went through, we have this set of small groups. If you haven't been through it, called Freedom Groups. How many of, who's been through a Freedom Group? Come on, Freedom Group. Okay, everybody. And uh, if you're one of the few people that haven't, you got to. And in fact, it it's just talks about our identity in God and it, it's really amazing. And, uh, but he, he, he's, uh, he, he, had been dealing with drug addiction and actually shared in his group about his struggle with addiction and his, his group leader prayed over him and he met with me the other day for coffee. He said, I think it's 48 days clean. And he said, this time is different. And I said, why is this time different? He said, every other time I, I got off drugs for a little bit, it was because I needed to prove myself to somebody else. 
And I sat in group and somebody told me I didn't even have to prove myself to God, that God had sent his son to die for me. And so I'm just, I'm just living. I feel so free. I have no desire for drugs. I've been 48 days clean and I don't feel like I'm earning anything from God. I'm just living out the freedom he already has for me. How many are grateful for Jesus and, and what he's done in our life, right? I mean, how good is that? All right, I got one more mountain, but if you're getting baptized tonight, why don't you head back? You can head out these back doors. Can we give them a hand tonight? You're getting baptized tonight. So good. So good. So good. So good. Man, we are excited to celebrate with you. How good is this? All right, one more mountain, and then you can tell them what it is. Here it is. Ready? Mountain of God's. Help me out, God's. Favor. So there's so many passages I could turn to, but Moses has all these prayer meetings with God. Let me just show you a couple of them. Whenever Moses went out of the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrance of their own tents. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over the entrance. And the Lord would speak with Moses and people would see this and they'd, they'd stand and they'd bow down, meaning, meaning Moses even when the people were struggling, Moses didn't always preach to the people. Sometimes he just prayed for them. In fact, let me just tell you something. Have you ever found that sometimes you can't preach to people? You have to pause and pray for them, right? Have you ever found when someone's heart isn't open, you can keep knocking on that door, but you're just, you're, you're button up against an obstacle because you need the soil of their heart uh, uh, softened. I wrote this down. Sometimes you have to preach to people, sure. But come on, sometimes you just have to pray for people, right? And Moses did that, even in the moments when the nation of Israel was far away from God. And what he did is he had this kind of prayerful connection to God. And that's what I think prayer does. It cultivates friendship with God. So let me just say this, because how many of you grew up in church, your parents or your grandparents went to church? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you ever had a flannel board in Sunday school? Come on, okay, that's great, right? So here's what I always realize when we're going into 21 days of prayer. My experience going to prayer meetings, I'm just going to say it. This is the 430 crowd. I can say whatever I want. That's what they tell me. My experience of prayer meetings growing up were some of them were lame. And in my youth group, they'd make us hold hands and pray. And I, I'm, a, I, I'm a guy, I run kind of hot, you know, so they'd say hold hands. And I'm like, these poor people. My hands are so hot. And in my church, you'd go around a circle and you'd each pray, taking terms, pray, 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 pray. And I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer circle, but you're not listening to anyone else pray. You're thinking, what am I going to say? And in fact, once they were done praying, we had this thing in my youth group where they would squeeze your hand and that meant it's your turn. And I, I remember I'm in one of these youth group prayer meetings and they're praying. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to beat that. Oh, I was going to pray that. By the time they got to me, she squeezed my hand. I just bumped it to the next person. I was like, I got nothing. You know. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where somebody knows all the King James Version? They know everything in the Bible. And you're like, if I pray, I'm going to get my theology wrong. I'm going to say, God, is your 13 apostles followed you or something? You know, and, and so, and here's what I'm saying. When you think of prayer, you think of like this rigid thing. Here's what I want to tell you. Prayer is just reconnecting our friendship to God. How many believe that, right? How many think, in fact, let me show you how 
like Moses prayed. The Bible says he went in and Moses spoke to the Lord, what? Face to face as one speaks to what? A friend. I love that about Moses' prayer. He just talked to God. Hey, that's all we're trying to do in 21 days of prayer is turn up our communication with God so that we're praying not just to the God of the universe. Of course, he's that. But we're praying to a God that we have a relationship with. So we just believe around here that prayer meetings don't have to be to be uh, lame and low energy. <laughs> we think there's something, we call it New Testament prayer. And that means Acts chapter four, the Bible says when the early church gathered, they prayed and the Bible says the place where they were praying was shaken. We think that when the people of God gather in New Testament prayer, that things get shaken in our home, things get shaken in our city, things get shaken in the future, things get shaken, I mean, in our lives, in our city, and, and God shakes things up for his glory. All right, I'm gonna skip, I'm gonna skip this part. It was really good. You can watch it from this morning, but here it is. Afterwards, Moses returned to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One thing that hit me when I read Moses' life is when Moses went to pray, there was a young guy, Joshua, who saw something about his praying that changed Joshua's life. And when Moses was done praying, Joshua would stay behind praying. He'd eventually be the leader of the nation of Israel. And this has just been my prayer. I wanna make sure we know this. One of my prayers for these 21 days of prayer is that our time of prayer would activate the next generation to be people who pray. I grew up, and it's one of the things I love about the chapel. Don't you love students that come and sit down front and worship down front? And, and get, I mean, we're going to have in two Saturdays, not this Saturday, but the next Saturday, two Saturdays from now, 24 hours of prayer and fasting for, for students. And they're going to have a Saturday where they pray and fast. And we, we'll, have, we'll have, I think we'll have more than 100 students that will give up a Saturday to do prayer and fasting. Catch this. You're in a church where students are excited to give up a Saturday to do prayer and fasting. Hello. Because there's something about prayer that activates the next generation. I just, I, I'm a, I know I'm supposed to close. I have 30 seconds. So I just want to say this. I'm glad to be in a part of a, a part of a church that has old people and young people. How many know we need some old people who know and have wisdom and, and, and have lived and have the wisdom? Point to an old person. To, no, I'm just kidding, right? How many know we need some seasoned people? Mentoring is learning from the mistakes of others, Right? So we need seasoned people of faith that have lived long. But how many know we need young people grabbing on to the faith? And to, how many know older need the younger? Uh, 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 how many know the younger need the older for wisdom? The older need the younger to learn how to work their phones. Come on, somebody. So, all right, here we are. We're done. Let's just review tonight. Come on, say what's in parentheses. We want to be a mountain of God's presence means we're a what? We're a presence-driven church. The mountain of God's character means we're a Bible-based church. The mountain of God's grace means we're a Jesus-centered church. And the mountain of God's favor means we're a multiplying church to the glory of God the Father. So Father, tonight as we head into 21 days of prayer and all you want to do in our church and all you want to do in our homes, all you want to do in our neighborhoods, we trust you completely. We give you these next few weeks as a sacred season to pray and call upon your name. And I I just pray you'd have your way in every part of our life, in every part of our circumstance. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to get to celebrate baptism tonight. And if you have somebody being baptized, you can't bother us if you want to kind of move over that way and take pictures and, 
it can be as chaotic as you want it to be, but they'll iMag it up on the screen as well so you can see that. Let's stand all over this room. What's going to happen is we're going to get to celebrate about 15, 18, 19, some uh, people tonight that are going to be baptized, and they're going to iMag it up on the screen too, but you want to get your camera and everything ready. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord.